Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. This is the word of the Lord from James chapter 1, 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered amongst the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Lord be with you, TCC. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Solari Community Church. It's, it's a joy and a privilege to be able to be here with you all online. I hope that you're staying cool this weekend. Hey, a very happy Father's Day to you all. Similarly to Mother's Day, we know that Father's Day can be a little bittersweet. It's sweet to celebrate your father, to celebrate being a father, a grandfather, and beyond. But for some in our congregation, today might be the first Father's Day that you're celebrating as a father, and we want to celebrate that with you. But for others, this may be the first Father's Day that you're celebrating without your father, or even maybe the first without your child. And all of it is swirling around, and we get it. We want to honor whatever it is that you're feeling today. And regardless of where you find yourself this morning, we can't really get away from it all. Golf courses are packed. Grills and smokers are on sale. There's probably a line outside a boot barn right across the 99 right now. We can't really avoid it. We also can't really avoid the fact that none of us would be here without our fathers, literally. We all have and have had varying relationships with our fathers, but no matter what, fathers play an enormous role in not only bringing new life into the world, but also shaping that life as well. The University of Texas has studied the difference that involved fathers make in the lives of their children and have published some interesting stuff. Children who grow up with involved fathers are 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school. Children who grow up with involved fathers are 45% less likely to repeat a grade. Children who grow up with involved fathers are 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school. 
They're twice as likely to go to college and to find stable employment after high school. And children who grow up with involved fathers are 75% less likely to have a teen birth and 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Now, no matter what, these statistics are significant. And maybe your life matches up pretty well with these statistics, but maybe it doesn't. How about you? What kind of a relationship did you have with your father when you were growing up? What do you remember? My own wife can't help from tearing up when she thinks back on her dad getting home from work every day, walking in through the garage and yelling, best part of my day, before picking her up in a bear hug. He still does that anytime that we go back to Detroit. I've always thought that it was pretty cool. Maybe you can relate to this because you too had a good relationship with your own father when you were a kid. Or maybe it was a little more complex. Maybe you didn't see your dad as much as you would have liked for any number of reasons, a demanding job, a lot of travel maybe. Uh, During our staff meeting this past Monday, a couple of us touched on the role that we've seen divorce play in not only our own families, but the families of our friends and community members as well. This can lead to custody issues, which can eventually make it feel like you can't quite shake a sense that you're playing catch-up on your relationship with your father later in life. I I can relate to that myself. Or maybe you had no relationship with your father at all. Maybe he passed away. He maybe was never in the picture in the first place at all. Now, if you are a father, I wonder how that relationship, or maybe lack thereof, based on your own situation, how that might affect the way that you want to raise your own kids, what role you want to play in their lives. And so no matter what, fathers play an enormous role in all of us. We've started a few new men's small groups over the past few months here at TCC, and every week I ask them to conclude by praying aloud the Lord's Prayer together. Whether they do it or not, I have no idea. But if you're new to church, the Lord's Prayer is what Jesus answered with when his disciples asked him how they were supposed to pray. At high school football games, it's, it's where all the kids mumble, Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallelujah, You can't really understand what they say after those first two words, our Father. What do Christians actually mean when they pray those words? Well, the God of Christianity is a triune God, one God in three persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus refers to God as the Father or even my Father throughout the Gospels, but then tells us to pray to God as our Father. Does this matter? Is this important in any way? Does this tell us anything about who God is and why he does the things that he does? Our passage today answers those questions, but not right away. Our passage actually starts by talking about the trials of life. How are Christians meant to approach them? It's an oft-quoted passage, one I actually sent to a buddy of mine recently who's walking through some weird immigration issues between here and Canada. 
The author of the passage, James, the younger brother of Jesus and the leader of the church in Jerusalem, is probably writing to a group of Jewish Christians who fled Jerusalem after Stephen's death in Acts 11. And he says in verses 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not if trials come, but when. And what kind? And the kind that tests one's faith in Jesus, probably exactly like the trial of fleeing from persecution after your fellow church member was killed, which was the exact case for the audience of this letter. You can bet that that would test your faith. And now a, a rational person would probably say, man, forget this whole Christianity thing. But what does James say? He says the trials of life should bring you joy not dread. The trials of life will make your faith stronger, and if you can allow that process to take place, you will be mature and complete. He summarizes in verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Be glad when things get hard. Hold on because God will use it to transform you. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, that sounds nice and would probably look good on an embroidered pillow, but what does this have to do with this whole Father's Day theme that you're going on and on about? God redefines our understanding of who a father is and what a father does as our theme here today. You might say, okay, so if God the Father utilizes the hard stuff that we go through for our own good, then does he make the hard things happen? Verse 13, James answers, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. All right, so it's not God who makes the hard stuff happen, but if he's really God, if there's nothing out of his control, can't he just stop the bad stuff from happening? Why go through all of the trials at all? And this is one of the most difficult questions in the entirety of monotheistic religion, Christianity included. It's called theodicy. Why doesn't God stop bad stuff from happening? The reality is that he can. Even scripture itself is full of passages like Psalm 13, which cries out, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The reality is that we don't really have any good answer as to why God allows everything that he allows to happen. But what we do know is that he's willing to do whatever it takes to save us. In the movie Life is Beautiful, a Jewish family in Italy is forced into a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. The father, Guido, and his son Joshua are separated from Guido's wife and Joshua's mother, Dora. To keep Joshua safe, Guido pretends that the entire thing is a huge game and that Joshua will gain points for hiding from the Nazi soldiers, but lose points if he makes noise or is seen. As news that the Allied forces are moving towards Italy, Guido tells his son he's only one day away from winning the game, 
But as the camp is being freed, Guido tries to reconnect with his wife and is killed by a German soldier in the process. The next morning, the boy emerges from his hiding place and is saved by American soldiers, thinking he's won the game. See, Guido is willing to do anything to save his son, the the person most precious to him in the world, including putting his own life in harm's way, which leads to him losing it. But would Guido have sacrificed his son, the person most precious to him, in order to save the other prisoners? Well, probably not. He didn't know them. He certainly didn't love them. Ah, but God the Father, he knows you. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. He not only knows you, he also loves you. He loves you so much, in fact, that he was willing to do whatever it took to save you, even if it meant sacrificing the person most precious to him to do it. God the Father does not change like shifting shadows. He is just He hates sin, the barrier that we erected between ourselves and him. So he did the unimaginable and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive your sin on the cross with his own life. If you have a hard time with Christianity because God as Father brings up all kinds of baggage, I get it. But realize that your heavenly Father, the one who chose to give you birth and life through the gospel sacrifice what was most precious to him to save you. He loves you that much. See, God redefines our understanding of who a father is and what a father does. Allow his love poured out for you on the cross to redefine and rearrange your entire conception of the intimate, personal relationship that your heavenly father wants to have with you. Take heart that there is no length that he will not go to for you, his child. I think of the lyrics to the contemporary song, Gyro, which starts out, I will never be more loved than I am right now. You know that, you can be confident of that because of what your heavenly father was willing to do to save you. Believe in what Jesus did for you and realize your heavenly father will never love you more than he does right now. I want to end with a quote from Herman Bovink. He was a 19th and 20th century Reformed theologian in the Netherlands, and I think he sums us all up pretty well. He says that the name God the Father is the supreme revelation of God. And I'll let him take it from here. He wrote, God is not only the Creator, the Almighty, the Faithful One, the King and Lord, He's also the father of his people. The theocratic kingdom known in Israel passes into a kingdom of the father who is in heaven. Its subjects are at the same time children. Its citizens are members of the family. Both law and love, the state and the family are completely realized in the New Testament relation of God to his people. Here we find perfect kingship for he is a king who is simultaneously a father who does not subdue his subjects by force but who himself creates and preserves his subjects. As children, they are born of him. They bear his image. They are his family. TCC, through his actions, through the pursuit 
of us, God redefines our understanding of who a father is and what a father does. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.